2: Steve Forbes, chairman and editor-in-chief of Forbes Media, will be speaking at the upcoming Synergy Global Forum, which is taking place at Madison Square Garden in October, and he'll be discussing the parallels between ancient leaders and today's business leaders. I had the opportunity to speak with him to get his thoughts on tax reform, whether markets were pricing in, the risks that were evolving in North Korea, as well as whether the Fed would raise rates. Uh, he recently wrote a column to President Trump basically saying, please don't let the Rep- congressional Republicans wreck your plan. I started by asking him if he thought that the border tax was dead in the water, and whether the Trump administration has a solid vision for tax reform. Take a listen.
3: Well, thankfully, the border tax, 20 percent national sales tax, border tax is dead for the moment, uh, which would have hurt uh, working families, people struggling from paycheck to paycheck. That this idea came out from the Republicans that I just find astonishing. I just shake my head. And in terms of uh, going forward, I think you will. We will get a tax bill this year uh, because of a thing that biologists uh, taught us a long time ago: the instinct of self-preservation. I think the Republicans recognize that if they don't get a big tax cut through, they're going to be in deep trouble next year. You know, the the man who invented uh, wrote one of the great dictionaries in the English language. A fellow named Samuel Johnson uh, wrote uh, said uh, over 200 years ago. He said. uh, prospect of a hanging focuses a man's mind wonderfully. I think the prospect of a political hanging for the Republicans will focus their minds and you will get a major tax bill. It won't be a huge reform. They just don't have time for it. But it will involve uh, major reductions in taxes uh, across the board.
2: Mr. Forbes, you uh, have run for president as a Republican uh, several times Do you recognize the Republican Party right now?
3: Well, parties always uh, change. But uh, what I do uh, like today is that the party still believes in tax cuts, uh, still believes in uh, 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 having a government that's not uh, burdensome on the people, that uh, doesn't uh, crush people with unnecessary rules and regulations. And uh, so uh, there are always differences within parties. Parties are not uh, uh, homogenous or uh, harmonious uh, traditionally in America. You always find elements that uh, don't very much like each other. People don't realize that is normal in American politics.'s been true for 160 years.
2: I'm wondering, uh, as the U.N. gathers right now, there's a real question as to why there's been such a muted response in financial markets to threats of a possible nuclear conflict on the Korean peninsula. Do you think that markets are too sanguine about the risks here?
3: I think uh, the markets uh, believe that one way or the other, the issue is not going to come to uh not going to go to war. Not going to come to a war. Not going to come to uh, serious hostilities. Uh, if the markets perceived that uh, this was a real possibility and not just rhetoric, uh, you would see the markets uh, react immediately and violently. Uh, you know, we're now a uh, you know, hundred years ago. Uh, World War One uh, began a little over a hundred years ago. And uh, 1914, and amazingly in London, which was then the financial center of the world, uh, right up to a couple of days before the war actually broke out, even though the crisis had been simmering for weeks, uh, only uh, when they were, were about to march off to battle did the markets realize, oh my God, uh, they're, not, they're, they're actually going to go over the cliff this time, and the market collapsed. Uh, we closed the stock exchange in the U.S., so uh, the markets now believe it won't happen, but by golly, if it believed that it uh, actually might, <laughs> go head for the sellers.
2: You know, and, and lastly, I just wanted to get your opinion on the Federal Reserve. They're meeting this week, and uh, many people have been pricing in an increasing chance that the Fed does raise interest rates again later this year. Do you think that that's the right move? And do you think that next year the Fed should take a more aggressive hiking stance.
3: Oh, well, what the Fed should do really is ultimately get out of the business of trying to set interest rates and let that be done by borrower and lender. Uh, interest is a price and the Fed is engaged in price controls and those usually don't work very well. And uh, their actions in recent years have done more harm to the financial markets, to the credit markets, to their functioning rather than helping. It's one thing to respond to a panic, which is what we had in 2008, early 2009, where you take extraordinary measures. Uh, Quite another when the panic passes and uh, you're in the business of trying to uh, manipulate the the economy. It does not work. So the sooner they get out of the way, the better. The sooner they reduce the size of their bloated portfolio of bonds that they bought, the better. They've indicated they're going to start to do that. But uh, this is a case of where uh, the Fed uh, would have been better off having done less. Uh, We would have ended up with a more uh, healthy economy.
1: That was Steve Forbes, Chairman and Editor-in-Chief of Forbes Media. And he'll be uh, speaking at the upcoming Synergy Global Forum that takes place at Madison Square Garden October the 27th and the 28th. And that will... uh the uh, a conversation that features uh, the distinctions or the comparisons between leaders of old in ancient times and uh, leaders today.
2: He had a very controversial take on the Federal Reserve because the idea that they should get out of the business of setting interest rates at all, and that they did right. more harm to the financial system and more harm said, to the price economy. He said price-fixing. Uh, you know, this is this is a very uh, controversial point that has been brought up by some people, that perhaps the economy could have cleared itself out and recovered. We would have seen greater inflation. Uh, uh, if the Fed would have just let the market collapse after uh, Lehman Brothers uh, and, and de- their demise in uh, September 2008.
1: You, you know, one of the things I love about life is that hindsight is 2020.
2: Well, it's not even clear that that is 2020 because right now people still disagree and say that uh, perhaps the Fed saved the U.S. from another Great Depression like we saw in the 30s. So. Yeah,
1: exactly. And uh, I don't think, you know, hypothesis and theories necessarily uh, outweigh reality. We are broadcasting from the Bloomberg Global Business Forum, taking place at the Plaza Hotel in Midtown Manhattan. Joining us now is uh, Carl Wicadana. He is, of course, our chief U.S. economist for Bloomberg Intelligence. And uh, Carl, I want to begin by just getting your thoughts on the uh, home, the uh, previously owned uh, home report today, uh, looking like a uh, one-year low. But is this really just because of Hurricane Harvey?
4: Well, it definitely looked like there was some uh, hurricane impact, especially with the uh, south uh, showing. Uh, We we do get some geographic breakdown, uh, and it showed a a sharp contraction in the south. So uh, the existing home sales data is uh, clocked or tabulated at the time of closing. Uh, But even so, uh, a lot of people probably had to cancel uh, uh, closings uh, due to uh, inclement weather
1: right sure and they can't they can't get the the bank to you know transfer money and so on but does this tell you anything and do you, does this matter to you right now or is it really just a question of do we get uh, some kind of economic data that allows the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates one more time this year? Or I think, think this just shows
4: one more data point that is uh, starting to have a hurricane impact, and uh, probably we can't trust the next month's data uh, either. We're seeing it in home sales, vehicle sales, retail sales, it's industrial production. It's the rosanna rosanna effect, isn't it? It's always something. It's always something. That's right. So
1: in in that context, what happens? The Federal Reserve punts, or do you think that they're going to raise interest rates?
4: Well, the Federal Reserve has to uh, base policy on the uh, last clean data points. So uh, I think that they are so well telegraphed uh, with respect to uh, uh, inaugurating the balance sheet unwind. Uh, at uh, this meeting that uh, it would take uh, something much more severe to cause them to deviate from this path. Uh, the question mark uh, or the moving part uh, is really their uh, active policy, uh, which is going to be interest rate hikes. And uh, they have from now until December to try to get a cleaner read of what's happening. And uh, that, uh, that's a, a long time in terms of economic data. So you, what, what's your call? Well, we have uh, adjusted our call. So the the December rate increases, no sure bet, uh, without a doubt. Uh, However, I think that uh, they will ultimately, assuming that the economy uh, bounces back uh, swiftly from the hurricane. And it appears that way in the economic data. Uh, we think that uh, a December rate hike uh, happens. And then we think that the Fed uh, proceeds at a slower pace over the next couple of years. So the Fed, uh, at least as of its last forecast update, uh, was signaling three hikes per year, uh, both next year and the year after. Uh, we think that they will be going at a slower pace of uh, two hikes per year. So we can think June, December, June, December. Uh, and in fact, one more year of June, December. So two hikes per year over the next three years uh, from the Fed. So we've revised our Fed uh, call uh, as a result.
1: Okay, but I mean, we don't even know who really is going to be on the Federal Reserve next year. Uh, We don't
4: know who will be on the Fed, uh, but there's a good chance that it's Janet Yellen. Uh, And if it's not her, it's going to be someone probably of her ilk uh, that's going to be uh, cautious with respect to uh, interest rate policy. I mean, they don't
1: want to raise interest rates. And also, we know that the president uh, is in favor of low interest rates. I mean, he's got a background in the real estate industry, and they don't necessarily like expensive money.
4: Uh, they do not like expensive money, and if your goal is to hit 3% GDP growth, uh, putting a hawk at the Fed is not going to be the way to get there.
1: Hey, Carl, you know, I don't know whether you've noticed, but I've noticed that there is almost no debate or conversation about the debt. And we've got the debt ceiling uh, deal that was done. But there's no conversation about it, except maybe when we talk about tax reform and whether it's going to be revenue neutral, but over such a long period of time that it's almost immaterial.
4: Well, debt is going to come back into the picture, but uh, as, uh, as you hinted, uh, I suspect we need to have uh, greater clarity on what uh, tax reform, uh, if we get any, uh, is going to look like, uh, whether we get tax reform or simply just a tax cut uh, to stimulate growth. Uh, and uh, well, debt may have been in the uh, background, but I suspect it's going to come into the foreground, especially uh, once we get to actually uh, considering passage of a, uh, of a more concrete deal uh, in Congress. I was going
1: to say that Randall uh, Stevenson of uh, uh, AT&T was speaking earlier today. I think he said that you know if there is some kind of tax deal that is put together, maybe to uh, allow the repatriation of U.S. profits that are held overseas, that we could see 3% GDP. If we do get sustainable 3% GDP, what does that do? What would interest rates look like to you?
4: Well, there's a big difference between uh, 3% and sustainable 3%. Uh, if All we right, well, are... let's,
1: say, let's say sustainable 3%, what happens? Where would interest rates be? Uh,
4: If we're uh, having sustainable 3% growth, uh, that probably means the speed limit for the economy has moved up. So it might not be that inflationary. uh, And there would be a significant offset from stronger tax revenue. So uh, I I don't know that that means uh, higher interest rates. If it's a not sustainable increase in 3% growth, then that's going to have some uh, inflationary uh, ramifications, which would uh, push longer-term yields higher.
1: Well, okay, so, uh, so, so.
4: So the real question here is A, are we getting 3% growth on a sustained basis or just as a cheap sugar high from a one time tax cut? Uh, and two, uh, if we are looking at faster growth, has the speed limit of the economy moved higher? Uh, or uh, if it hasn't, then there's going to be some uh, some fallout uh, from uh, inflation pressures. Well, I mean, this idea of sustainable
1: or not sustainable, I mean, just as we're seeing with the results of today's uh, existing home sales report, there's always something to make whatever the news is. Uh, extraordinary, right? I mean, it seems to happen on a regular basis, whether it is a natural disaster or a man-made disaster, whether it's something like Brexit. In in that context, is there any way that the Federal Reserve will change its uh, kind of understanding of the pace of of economic performance because we seem to be having so many one-off events that affect the economy?
4: Well, for the Fed to reassess the speed limit for the economy, we need to see a, a, a couple of things happen. So, one, uh, demographics are our destiny. I know that's a hack, hackneyed expression, uh, but if we're not getting faster population growth, either through a rebound in the birth rate or uh, more uh, uh, inclusive or or relaxed immigration policies, Uh, it's hard to hit that uh, faster growth rate without a, uh, a change to the demographic trend. And population growth has been decelerating. Uh, the other factor is the uh, productive capacity of the economy, uh, and there's two components to that. One uh, is a rebound in productivity in and of itself, uh, and two would be a significant investment into the capital stock of the economy, whether that's infrastructure spending on rail lines and utilities and airports uh, or whatnot. Or even things
1: like rebuilding when it comes to the Commonwealth of uh, Puerto Rico. Well,
4: well, certainly there will be big rebuilding, yeah. but that's not going to necessarily improve prove the uh, productive capacity of the uh, of the economy.
1: We got to leave it there. Thanks very much. Carl Riccadonna, sure our thing. chief U.S. economist for Bloomberg Intelligence.
2: As Pym was saying, Hurricane Maria made landfall in Puerto Rico as a Category 4 storm uh, just uh, within the past few hours. And this would be the worst storm to hit the island since 1998. give us more of a perspective on uh, just how uh, potentially catastrophic this hurricane is, as well as what some of the financial damage could look like, I want to bring in Michelle Kasky. She's our Puerto Rico reporter for Bloomberg News and joins us from our Bloomberg 1130 studio in New York. Uh, Michelle, can you just give us a sort of a state of play right now Uh, what is where is the hurricane how long is it going to last and does it look like it's going to be as bad as some were predicting
5: Hey, good morning. Um, yeah, the hurricane, as we speak, is going over the island. They're experiencing experiencing it—the uh, heavy, heavy winds and the rainfall, and of course the the potential for some some serious uh, storm surges. And um, they have this very weak infrastructure to begin with, even before the hurricane came. So um, their electric uh, grid is at risk, uh, even water um, supply of water. So uh, we just have to wait and see, and and see how bad the damage is going to be, but basically all of today they will be experiencing this this horrible storm.
1: Michelle, do we know anything about the disposition of the first responders or indeed whether the United States federal government has sent troops or any personnel into the island commonwealth in order to not only maintain order but to help with the cleanup
5: now before um the storm hit the governor did say that because um, the island is at risk of being without electricity for some time or parts of the island would be at risk that they would then uh afterwards get outside help from um from the the mainland U.S. Now whether uh, those uh, those that help has arrived with boots on the ground, um, we don't know yet. But that is the anticipation that Puerto Rico will get not just um, some FEMA money at some point, but actual hands-on help from the federal government.
1: Right. The, re- the reason I ask is because I know that that has been an issue with the U.S. Virgin Islands, for example, in St. Thomas and uh, and St. John, is uh, trying to get the help to the people that actually need it. A- at the the moment, the state of the Puerto Rican economy. This couldn't have happened at a worse time.
5: No, it couldn't. Uh, they declared bankruptcy uh, in in early May, and they're going through the bankruptcy process. They um, they don't have a tremendous amount of cash on hand to be able to uh, deal with you know storm cleanup and, and rebuilding. So that's why um, they're really seeking the the federal help and. Um, you know, again, this infrastructure needed to be upgraded even before the storm. So um, this only
2: accelerates that need. Well, yeah. And just uh, to put a number on that, Puerto Rico's emergency fund stood at about $32 million before Irma uh, passed through the island. That compares to an estimated uh, potential of $30 billion of damage. Uh, So quite an order of magnitude higher of of money that they will need. Uh, Michelle, you know, I was speaking with some Puerto Rico investors, you know, will this uh, create even more of a, headache for this island that has $74 billion of debt that it can't pay back and is amid, in the midst of uh, a lot of legal uh, negotiations over that. Will this actually help them in, in a weird way in the sense that uh, perhaps there will be more money flowing toward the island to rebuild its infrastructure uh, that already uh, was falling into disrepair?
5: Well, that's that's the hope that this actually puts even more attention on um, the needs that Puerto Rico has, and and again that the potential federal dollars could be um, helping to upgrade systems that uh, were so out of date even before the storm hit. Um, that that would be sort of the silver lining here. But again, the damage might be we don't know yet. But the damage could be so extensive that. Um, you know, the, that federal money may not um, be enough, or it um, it will just take an incredible amount of time for the island to, to bounce back.
1: Well, I mean, here's a quote from uh, the governor of Puerto Rico, Ricardo Rossello. He was speaking to the Associated Press, and he said, we're going to lose a lot of infrastructure in Puerto Rico. We're going to have to rebuild. And then Eric Blake, who's a forecaster for the National Hurricane Center, uh, tweeted this morning that uh, the uh, strike on, on the same Place in the same uh, intensity following Harvey, uh, Hurricane Harvey, and Hurricane Irma, unprecedented in the modern era. So that uh, kind of draws a that draws a line under it, doesn't it, Michelle?
5: Sure, it, it definitely. I mean, it's just two weeks ago um, they went through Irma. Thank God, Irma. Irma just passed through over the north of the island so they got mostly a a very very heavy very strong tropical storm Um, the hurricane didn't actually Irma didn't actually hit the island itself but um, they did have to deal with the effects of a hurricane then and that was just two weeks ago so they 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 were barely able to pick themselves up I mean there were still people without power on the island um, because of Irma before Maria hit.
1: Well, we're going to certainly watch this uh, ongoing uh, natural disaster. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Michelle Kasky is our Puerto Rico reporter for Bloomberg, joining us in our 1130 studio. And uh, something else is going to be taking place today, but it'll be in Washington. And uh, it has to do with the Federal Reserve. And here to help us understand what might or might not happen is Ira Jersey, Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg. He joins us from our Bloomberg 1130 studios. Ira, great to have you with us as always. So, um... Federal Reserve going to raise rates or not? Hey,
6: Pim. Uh no, no, not today. No. Okay, uh, good. You yeah. can go home. We're all done. Thanks, Ira. Are, yeah. we, are they no, going to tell us anything about unwinding the balance sheet? Yeah. So, so I think it would be a surprise actually if they did not un- start unwinding the balance sheet. They've set up the market for this. Now that we have the debt ceiling out of the way and, and a budget at least until December, um, this is kind of the optimal time for the Fed to do it. There's not a lot of reason to wait. Um, so, so I do think that they'll do it. Um, we don't need a. You know, one of the questions I've been asked today is, are we going to get any other operational details? Well, for the, for the Fed, the only real operational detail they need to tell us, perhaps, is are they going to change the way that they buy mortgages? Because for Treasuries, they just mature and they go away. And the Fed will just do its normal course reinvestment like it, it's always done in its uh, you know 100-plus year history. So, so I, I do think that that uh, is something that, that they'll do. We then get the summary of economic projections and, uh, and their statement. And, and that, I think, might be actually screwed a bit more.
2: And right now, uh, the uh, Fed funds futures market is pricing in about a fifty percent chance of the Fed hiking rates in December. Do you think that that is overly optimistic, or do you think that uh, the market uh, it will be surprised uh, yeah. by the Fed's hoggishness?
6: So, uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, my, my view is is that the, the Fed has always erred on the side of caution when it comes to hiking rates, particularly if they think that they there might be some kind of bumps in the road ahead for the economy. Um, I, I think. The the idea that they're going to hike this year is a little bit optimistic um, and definitely will rely on what, what's gone on with the data. So you've had some very disappointing uh, inflation numbers. It's been creeping up a little bit. I, I actually think that over the next six months, we could actually uh, see inflation start to tick up just a little bit. I'm not saying a lot or that's going to be worrying. But at the same time, it could be just enough that the Federal Reserve can be a little bit more, um, more hawkish. Now, uh, you know, will they, Can they do that this year? Yes, I do think it's so data dependent that something like 40-60 or even 50-50 odds is probably the right level. So um, you really have to have a view. Do you think that the data is going to improve significantly or do you think it's going to um, going to kind of meander on the way it is now? And uh, if it meanders on the way it is now, they probably stay pat.
2: You know, Ira, I would love to get your opinion uh, on the story that Brian Chapada wrote earlier this week of Bloomberg News where he was talking about analysts expecting uh, that Treasury yields could actually drop if the Federal Reserve continues with its uh, balance sheet unwind as it plans to do just because uh, that type of tightening would end up slowing the U.S. economy uh, and therefore reducing the prospect of inflation going forward. Do you agree with that?
6: Yeah. You know, this is a question I get asked a lot. You know, you, you look at charts and you say, oh, when the Federal Reserve, and I've shown these charts too, right, when the Federal Reserve bought bonds, yields actually rose. Um, that had to do with, with inflation expectations moving higher. I, I'm not convinced that the runoff of the balance sheet necessarily um, has to have that detrimental of an impact on the economy, primarily because um, it probably won't lead to yields rising that much because it's really up to the Treasury Department to manage the issuance uh, of these new bonds to the public. And when you look at things like uh, you know who really loses out here, well, it ends up being some liquidity by banks. So So over time, uh, banks that own that have these reserves on their balance sheet will have less reserves, so maybe they have a little less liquidity, um, and because of that, I think some people are saying, "Oh, well, that means that there might not be the lending that we need, and that could slow the economy and actually have yields fall." I, I'm I'm not quite in that camp. I, I think it's probably more neutral for the economy than anything, um, but but I do think that it's important to think about these things because uh, this has never been tried, right? We've never had a Fed, uh, a central bank balance sheet. That shrunk by the magnitude that the Federal Reserve's going to be attempting to do over the next couple of years. Hey, Ira, you
1: mentioned the mortgage uh, industry, and I want to get a little bit more detail uh, with that because you know you say, okay, maybe interest rates will either stay where they are or decline. Right now, we're at 280 for the 30-year, and we're at 223 for the 10-year. Uh, existing home sales came out today they were what 5.35 million everyone was looking for 5.45 so that was a little bit of a disappointment do you think that we'll see increases in the cost of money to consumers who want to buy a house
6: yeah, so so I think the the big risk with the Federal Reserve unwinding its balance sheet is going to be in mortgage uh, in mortgage area, but it's so well telegraphed that we've actually already had a pretty significant and meaningful widening in spreads between mortgage backed securities and um, and the ten year Treasury, and I think that those spreads being that wide um, is indicative of the idea that there's going to be more supply into the mortgage market over time, um, and, and I do think so, so. Will there be more than this? You know. No, that, that's a that's a good question and, and certainly something that, that has to be watched. But I suspect yeah. that most, maybe 75 or 80 percent, of the uh, of the higher mortgage costs because of unwind has already been priced in
2: all right you know I'm wondering are we talking about the Fed too much does the Fed even matter that much anymore or has it basically ceded control to uh, the ECB and uh,
6: BOJ and others well I think the Fed matters in uh, when they when they initially announced something so when they started talking about um, you know balance sheet unwind and stuff the market took notice now it' just become you know so what if they don't do it that's the news if they do it so we are expecting it who cares um, but I do think that the that the risk to markets at this point and to your point Lisa is, is that Um, If the ECB starts to taper, if the Bank of Japan significantly changes their own QE program, those are things that can broil the global fixed income markets and the global uh, government bond markets in particular. And I think that's the one place where you could see a substantial sell-off in in tenure yields, is if the ECB were to come out over the next several months and say, hey, we're going to slow down our bond buying, we're going to slow down a lot and quickly, you get a taper tantrum-like reaction to that, and you can see curves steepen, you can see 10-year yields head up toward 275, maybe toward 3%. I don't think they stay there. I think that that's an interesting buying opportunity if that were to happen. But um, but at the end of the day, that, that's the type of volatility that you can get. So, so, so I, th- I think the Fed has done a good job in its communication where it's, it's really limited the amount of volatility that comes from its own actions, whereas other central banks now are potentially the impetus for more volatility.
1: Any chance that we don't get a rate increase this year?
6: Well, yeah, I think that there's a pretty high uh, chance that we don't get an interest rate increase this year. Okay, so if that's Um,
1: the case, if that happens, if we got a free pass from now until the end of uh, December, what does that do to the dollar? We're now at one nineteen. We were at one twenty against the euro, one thirty-five eighty pound sterling. And boy, it's been losing value against the Canadian dollar. We're at one twenty-two fifty-four. Yeah,
6: so the so the dollar tends to go in these very long cycles. So when you look at the uh, the, the trade weighted dollar, for example, I, I like looking at the the trade weighted dollar because it, it has more of a direct economic impact than say looking at dollar euro and the euro is not not a as major of a of a trading partner with the U.S. as say Canada, like you mentioned, Pim. Um, so, so, when you look at the trade-weighted dollar, it tends to go in these f- five to seven-year cycles. And we just had this pretty strong up-cycle where the dollar appreciated quite a lot over f- about five-year period, and now we're maybe starting at this, uh, the next down-leg of the cycle where the dollar will ultimately depreciate against some other currencies um, and, uh, o- over a long period of time. Now, That's not necessarily against every currency, but against um, you know, this large basket of currencies.
2: Ira Jersey, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to hear uh, your insights on the Fed and all things related to interest rates. Ira Jersey is our interest rate strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. He is normally based in New Jersey, but he was coming to us from our Bloomberg 1130 studios. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg p podcast.
1: You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Pim Fox. I'm on Twitter at Pim Fox.
2: I'm on Twitter at Lisa Abramowitz1. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for the future investor data powered transformations.